0: Yeah, you don't have to give up uh, on yourself or on your company, but it's okay. And it's required to give up on features or products or businesses or business models that aren't working. Because generally, if it is working and you do have fit, you'll know it. Welcome to the Conversion Aid Podcast, where we help software entrepreneurs to take their
1: business to the next level. Each week, we interview proven industry experts who share their strategies and insights to help you create software that sells. Here's your host, Omer Khan. Hey, 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 welcome to the Conversion Aid podcast. It's kind of weird doing only one episode a week these days, but that's what you guys and girls asked for, so I hope it's working for you. A couple of important announcements before we get started today. Firstly, I want to give a shout out to my man Jimmy Lippham for leaving a five-star iTunes review. Let me quickly read that to you. Omer and co do a great job drilling down to the information that truly matters when rubber meets the road. I'm working for a company right now, but have hopes and plans of starting a new startup. And I gain tons of valuable information by listening during my commutes. Omer is not afraid to ask the hard questions. And the podcast highlights many of the failures and challenges in starting a company as well as the successes. It truly is a valuable resource. Jimmy, thanks, my man, for leaving the review. It's truly appreciated. Now, uh, Jimmy is the founder of Chatter.io, that's C-H-A-T-R.io, and he's also currently testing a new SaaS product called Subcast.io. He he recently launched a landing page and has been doing some tests with Facebook ads. And he's started to tweet about what he's what he's learning from that. So if you want to check out what he's up to, then you can follow him on Twitter at Jimmy Lipham, That's J-I-M-M-Y-L-I-P-H-A-M. Thanks again, Jimmy, and good luck with Subcast.io. Now, if you want to leave an iTunes review, you will make me very happy. You can just go to conversionaid.com slash iTunes. And it will redirect you over to the podcast on iTunes. Secondly, let me remind you about our big giveaway that I'm running to celebrate uh, almost 100 episodes of the podcast, which is just uh, two weeks away now. Uh, Flow is a project management software that simplifies teamwork. And the team at Flow have kindly given me three one-year licenses for their studio plan which you can use with teams of up to 10 people. And each license is worth $636. Now, here's why I like Flow. Firstly, you get a clean and simple interface to help you get an instant overview of your team's projects and what everyone is up to. It makes it really easy to keep everyone across the team up to date. Secondly, instead of using a chat tool like Slack separately to your project management software, Flow brings chat and tasks together. So you can do things like creating new tasks right from your team's chat. You you basically get an end-to-end workflow for your team in one app. And thirdly, working with remote teams is often frustrating. Flow makes it really easy for your team, no matter what country or time zone they're in, to collaborate as if everyone was together in the same room. It's a great tool. It's a great giveaway. So just head over to conversionaid.com slash giveaway for your chance to win one of those three annual licenses. Uh, One of those licenses is reserved for the Conversion Aid VIP members. So if you are on the VIP email list, then you will automatically be entered into that separate draw. And if you're not on that list, now is a great time to join because it'll just improve your chances of winning. So just go over to conversion slash VIP, enter your email address there uh, and do that before you enter the giveaway. That'll make sure that you automatically get entered into both the main draw, which is open to everybody, as well as the VIP draw, which is open to only a smaller group of people. All right, enough chatter. Let's uh, get on with the show. All right. Today's guest is the co-founder and CEO of Anthology, a Seattle-based startup that was formerly known as Poachable. Anthology enables employed tech professionals to explore new career opportunities anonymously. My guest, along with his co-founder, originally launched a startup called Yably, a consumer-to-consumer advice site. When that business didn't get traction, the team pivoted to launch Poachable and then later renamed that to Anthology. The company has raised around $1.8 million to date, and its investors include Vulcan Ventures. And the companies recruiting through Anthology include Amazon, Microsoft, Netflix, Dropbox, Facebook, and the list goes on. So today I'd like to welcome
0: Tom Leong. Tom, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Omer. I'm excited to have this conversation. Awesome.
1: Okay. So let's start by getting a success quote from you. What, 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 what is there a favorite quote that, that drives and motivates you to do what you do?
0: Absolutely. Uh, it's often used, so I'm sure your audience has heard it before, but Wayne Gretzky uh, once said, you miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. And I've, I've tried to live by that uh, logic and reasoning, um, especially since you know when I was uh, younger, I didn't have a lot of confidence. I probably didn't try as many things as I should have and over the years, I've learned just in life and, and in, certainly in business, if you don't take a shot at something, then uh, you definitely are not gonna gonna achieve it.
1: So you are a, a former Microsofty like myself, and uh, also you spent some time over at Google and. Working in those kinds of companies, uh, you know, it's no walk in the park. There's a lot of challenges and and, and headaches that come with with working on any any major project in a, in an organization like that. But at least you have the the security of uh, a paycheck, right? Mm-hmm. And so, when you talk about not having that confidence of not having tried more earlier. Um, what pushed you to go down the entrepreneurial track?
0: You know, it's, it's something that I had always wanted to do since I was very young. And I had done all these things to prepare myself to be uh, the founder and CEO of a company. So, you know, I, I started out in management consulting thinking I would be a good way to Uh, you know, learn about business, and then I went to business school, then I worked at Microsoft, and then I worked at someone else's venture-backed startup, and then Google, and I worked at a small-cap company. And at some point, I looked up, and I realized I was, uh, you know, I was in my late 30s, and I I hadn't yet started a company. And I thought, well, you know, at some point, you just have to go for it. And, uh, you know, luckily, I had sort of enough uh, financial resources saved up to kind of fuel a uh, a entrepreneurial journey. And um, so I think it was hard uh, earlier days because I think I was always in checking the box mode, like building the resume, thinking that, oh, I actually remember having breakfast with a VC once when I was, I think I was still at Google. And I said, oh, you know, how do you guys... Um, pick CEOs for your for your startups that kind of need more uh, adult supervision. <laughs> and I thought, oh, you know, he was going to say, well, we look for really smart people like you, Tom. And, <laughs> and, and he didn't. Uh, he said, well, you know, the best CEOs are people who've done it before, who've run companies, and ideally who've founded and scaled companies. And that was kind of a revelation to me because I think, up until then, from a career point of view, I had been very much focused on getting all the right logos, you know, if you will, on my on my resume, and uh, and and that that conversation kind of brought to light, you know, if you if you want to be good at, at running a startup, you got to run a startup, <laughs> and so that combined yeah. with my uh, my entrepreneurial clock ticking uh, caused me to to make that leap uh, back in 2012. Wow. Well
1: okay let's uh let's get into the details of anthology i want to make sure that everyone listening understands more about the business and and how it's it's you know the value prop is different to what else is out there in the market today so can you just give us a sort of a uh, maybe a better explanation than i did of what anthology is and the problem that you're trying to solve
0: sure so The big problem we're trying to solve is that there's a a great amount of inefficiency in how labor gets distributed across companies. And specifically, most of the people changing jobs are these active job seekers who are very unhappy with their current job or they're out of work. Um, But in reality, the best person for a job may be in another job. And, but they're just very busy, and they don't want to send the wrong signal to their current employer and appear to be one foot out the door. And so it creates this problem where you, you know there are certain dots that should be connected, but they're not because of these artificial barriers. Uh, and the main one being time and, uh, and privacy. So what we've done with Anthology is we've built this platform that allows employed people to create private, uh, so it's not like your LinkedIn profile. No one can see it. Your colleagues can't see it. Even other recruiters uh, can't see it until uh, we identify a match that you approve. But based on all this private information, we can then more intelligently identify opportunities that really meet your requirements And just as importantly, where your background, skills, and experience, education meet the requirements of the employer. And so it turns out that in reality, there's really at any given time only a few opportunities that are really kind of uh, uh, two-way matches where you know, we think the member would really like the employer and the employer would really like the member. And then what happens after that is the platform makes it very easy for the member to initially express interest anonymously, protecting their identity from being exposed, waiting for the employer to reciprocate interest based on their anonymous profile. And then we can progressively uh, reveal more and more information until ultimately we make a direct introduction and and they have a, a quick phone call.
1: Okay, I want to talk about how you came up with the idea for this business, but let's kind of go back to 2012 when you launched Yably. Um, because I think it's a really interesting story on on the process that you guys went through to get to where you are today. Um so you you started out in two thousand and twelve launching uh, this startup with the idea of this uh, consumer to consumer advice site, um, but things you you just didn't get the traction on that business. And w- when did you when did you realize that this business was going to struggle?
0: Oh man, I think it, it, there wasn't like, I mean the big the big sort of cold water in your face realization was uh, at the end of um, 2014, or maybe it was 13, let's say 12, uh, maybe it was the end of 13, when we realized we were not going to be able to raise any more money. Uh, up until then, we had been pretty effective at raising uh, angel capital. So I think for Yabli, we raised $1.5 million. In about 500k chunks, so we were always able to buy ourselves more time just by, you know, showing some milestones and telling good story, and you know, suggesting that well, you know, we're just on the cusp, yada yada. And after about uh, two years, we, I think our investors said, hey, you know, you can't be continuously on the cusp, <laughs> and you know, we're not, we're not going to keep giving you more money. And, uh, and prior to that, I think we were always very good at um, sort of uh, convincing ourselves that, uh, that oh, this, this one new feature or this new partnership is going to be the big deal, or this new growth hack is going to change everything. And uh, it, it didn't because we, we tried it all. And, and then when the investors said, no more money, um, we were kind of, you know, didn't have any choice but to either close the company, sell the company, or 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 try a try a hail mary.
1: Why do you think you guys didn't get product market fit with Yabli?
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's a a topic that we discussed a lot over those over that period of time. And you know, Yabli conceptually is pretty cool. It was like Quora meets Consumer Reports. You know, is this kind of community f- platform for making practical decisions and getting advice from like-minded people. And there was this kind of like karma and reputation system. And, um, you know, som- sometimes I actually still miss Yably because, you know, I'll be in the market for a product and, and wish there were a way for me to kind of get that uh, kind of authentic community feedback that's customized for me. But to answer your question, I think the reason we never got product market fit was uh, number one. I don't know that the problem we were solving was big enough. I mean, it was big. Like you could convince yourself it was big by saying, "Well, people spend a trillion dollars a year buying products, and if ten percent of those products idea uh, decisions are bad, the economy is wasting you know hundred billion dollars a year." Like you could make you can make all these arguments about how the size of the problem, but that's not really the way I think in hindsight, I now look at how big of a problem it is. Now I look at it by saying, you know, is there someone out there, or better yet, are there tons and tons and tons of people out there who are really in huge, uh, physical pain or emotional pain or intellectual pain over this problem? And when you think about product purchasing decisions, Yeah, people may say, oh, you know, it's kind of of annoying having to pick the right coffee maker or the right car or the right lawnmower, but they don't really curse about it. You know, if you think about calling for a taxi before Uber, that was really a big pain in the butt and it really uh, uh, caused a lot of stress. Like, oh, are they going to show up? I'm going to miss my next meeting and, you know, where the heck is this car? And so I think, number one, product purchasing is not a migraine headache problem. And number two, even if it were, I think the way we were solving it was incrementally better than reading a bunch of Amazon product reviews, but it wasn't sort of order of magnitude better. And I think what we've tried to do with Anthology and I think what, what I've seen with successful companies is they pick a problem that's really huge uh, you know, in our case, it's customer, it's it's individuals, you know, being a, having a great career or um, companies filling crucial roles like that is a big problem. Um, and then the way we solve it, we think, is just fundamentally different than posting on a on a job board or or just emailing people on LinkedIn. And so, Yabli yeah, didn't have that. You know, it was a it was a problem, but not a big one. And the way we solved it was better, but not orders of magnitude better.
1: Okay, so you no more money's coming in and suddenly I guess there's you're getting a maybe a, a wake-up call that now you guys really are in trouble. Um, what, what was the thinking? What were you guys thinking at the time? Were you already starting to think about a pivot? Uh, I know you had started the process of, of trying to sell the company um, so, so just walk us through a little bit in, in terms of what you guys were were going through then.
0: Yeah, so um, we tried a lot of small pivots. So we took this consumer Q and A product sort of community, and I think one of the first big pivots was I see a lot of consumer companies do this is oh we'll we'll white label it. And we'll sell it to businesses. So the idea was, okay, Yabli as a standalone uh, community platform can't isn't scaling and can't acquire customers at scale. Uh, but LL uh, uh, Bean or REI or you know FAO Schwartz or you know whatever some stores, major retailers, um, they may want a community. And, uh, uh, we will sell the software to them and they'll just pay us a monthly fee. And, and the argument will be, look, we spent a million and a half dollars creating this platform and this software, but you you don't have to do that. You can just pay us 10 grand a month and, you know, it'll be the same cost as one engineer, but you'll have the whole thing and we'll skin it and yada, yada. So we tried that and we actually got a keynote, uh, presentation opportunity at the, uh, Retail federations like national conference and and we thought that was going to be like our salvation and it, you know I think we learned that it's enterprise sales is really hard takes a long time and uh, you can't just take a a, a failed B two C product and and white label it and call it a B two B product <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so then after that we started trying other things like we said okay what about taking Yabli the Q and A and making an awesome um, AMA, like a Ask Me Anything, kind of like Reddit AMAs. What if we built an AMA platform that was like optimized for awesome AMAs? And so we built that, and that did a little better than Yably, but uh, still didn't break through. And I think at that point, we had a much higher bar for traction. So when the AMA product came out, it had a great first and second month, and then it plateaued. And immediately after it plateaued, we did not do what we would have done in the old days, which is add like 20 new features, thinking that that was going to kind of turn the thing around. Um, I now believe that if you're fundamentally solving the right problem, even if your product is kind of hokey, but it's 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 at least close enough, it should it should have really good growth and good traction without you needing to go through like 50 iterations on the thing. So then the we said, okay, AMA's not there. And then we tried um, a social planning service. That we we called it yab.ly, y a b b l y, And that was like a Q&A platform for your friends. Like, hey, where should we go to dinner? And what movie should we see? It was kind of like social polling, if you will. That didn't go anywhere. And then eventually we ended up building Jobly. We had a lot of dot ly domains. <laughs> um, and that was a QA for, um, uh, to rep- to be an alternative or a, a precursor to an on site interview loop. So it'd be, you do it after your phone screen, but before. So it was like an AMA, but it was private. And the people on the hiring team could all ask the candidate questions and then they could privately annotate. They could ask video questions. And, and that was really cool. Um, And then we last, another thing we had was called Town Hall, which was an AMA, a white label AMA for organizations to do like kind of virtual town halls. None of those things worked out. And so it was, Poachable was like the ninth thing that we built as a team. And honestly, we almost never built it because by the eighth prototype and after, you know, two years of kind of failure, um the team was was ready to hang it up and we had a we had an offer to buy the company and our investors were gonna make money and you know we, we were ready to sort of uh declare victory and and move on. Um but uh yeah, so that's it was a long, arduous, winding road to get to uh to poachable. <laughs>
1: how how long were, yeah it sounds like quite a, quite a uh, roller coaster right um how long were you going through this process of these mini pivots over what period did that happen and 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 how long were you giving each pivot or idea before you said okay this isn't going to work let's move on to something else
0: so i think we started it um we started it probably in January of 2014, when we kind of realized, okay, the the holiday shopping season is over, and we didn't grow the way we wanted to, despite having. I think we actually uh, did a partnership with Consumer Reports, which in the U.S. is like a very large uh, publication that reviews products and stuff. And um, so by January, we're like, okay, we're not going to be able to raise money for Yabli, and Yabli's not taking off. We need to try some other stuff. And I think the amount of time we spent per experiment, you know, might have been like I want to say like around a month. Like we didn't give them that much time. And I think the the logic was at this stage of the game, if we're going to raise any more money, we need something that's going to that's going to show traction almost immediately. Because no one's gonna believe us if we say, hey, just give us another two years of runway and we'll figure it out. Because that's kind of what we did with Yabbly and we didn't get anywhere. So and the team, it wasn't just the investors, the team was was not interested in another, you know, 40 years in the desert. Like we we were we mm-hmm. were tired too. And so we say, well, if we're not gonna sell the company and we're gonna keep going, we better have something really good. And so, you know, some experiments were, I think our shortest one was uh, this uh, used car service idea that we had where we could help people sell their used car uh, in a more easy and, and, and safer way than through Craigslist. And then we, we did some quick research and, and penciled out the numbers and realized like we couldn't make it. It wouldn't, it wouldn't scale for us and the, the economics didn't look good. But then other ones like AMA was a two or three month. We let that run. And we run, and ran a lot of these in parallel. Because one of the things that we had was a team that was very good at, at rapid prototyping. And uh, you know, I, I'm, I've been in, in product management for a long time uh, at software companies. We had an amazing front-end developer. We had an amazing designer. And we had an amazing full-stack you know, slash back-end guy. And, you know, the group of us, like we could spit out prototypes pretty much as fast as you could think of them. Um, And so, you know, I guess uh, if, if Wayne Gretzky were, was watching, he would say, well, these guys are shooting left and right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, So then eventually you said the ninth or about the ninth idea turned into anthology and, The way you tested this idea, from what I understand, was super simple, right? You didn't spend a lot of time trying to build some sophisticated algorithm on the back end to try and match uh, employers with employees. Um, So what exactly did you guys do?
0: Yeah, I think the original Yabli team would have built the sophisticated algorithms and all that stuff. the sort of in-survival-mode-running-on-fumes, sort of more seasoned Yabli team, uh, what we did was we bought a domain, we put a, a one-page landing page up, and it was, uh, you know, hey, this is Pochable, we do anonymous career matching, this is how it works. I think we said we have a sophisticated algorithm. I think we might have even said like artificial intelligence because we knew we were going to make the matches. So, in a way, it was like even better than artificial intelligence. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it was a form, and you would quote unquote create your profile by filling out a simple HTML form. I don't think it was a secure form, even. I probably we probably <laughs> didn't buy you know SSL certificates or anything, and it just sent me a mail with all of their information. And that was poachable, and that was. So this is this is
1: basically a page that somebody could have created in a hour or two. Yes, absolutely.
0: Okay, I remember remember it was a a a fierce debating point because uh, our front end dev, uh, you know, he was kind of like you know bored and and wanted to be challenged, so he wanted to use some new frameworks, and I was like, no, 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 just we just need a simple page. Let's just get this thing out ASAP. And I think we said, if, fi- if we could get five friends to fill this out uh, in the next few days, then maybe we have something. But if the three of us, because that, that was like the core team, if we can't get five people to fill this thing out, then the, let's not do any more work on it. Uh, so it was yeah, it was, very, it was a, a one-page a one HTML file.
1: Now you didn't have any, any employers signed up at that time. Right. No,
0: no. We we so we have this marketplace problem where there's like uh you know you, you, the chicken and egg thing, and so at that time the theory was well if we get people to sign up, once we have the people we'll just go to the employers and say hey we have these great people and uh, we'll start with the members and the members will attract employers, and uh, yeah the so the original model was we get these members then we email the employer. And say, hey, you know, I know you're looking for um, a front end developer, and we have one that, you know, based on our algorithm, would be a great match. Um, you know, would you be interested in in connecting with them? And so that's that's how we we started, you know, in in the first week.
1: So, what did you do to to promote this page and and what happened in the first week once you launched?
0: Yeah, so that's where I think uh, serendipity plays a big role. I tweeted out on the Yabli and my personal Twitter account, "Hey, you know, uh, Yabli Labs is launching Poachable. Uh, it's this new way to do anonymous sort of career matchmaking. Uh, check it out." And then I think we d- we even did an AMA on it on Yabli. You know, we kind of tried everything we could. And a, a local tech blog called GeekWire um, saw the tweet and then emailed me, I think like that night. And said, uh, the, the reporter, Taylor, he's like, hey, I saw you're doing Poach Bowl. Like, can you tell me more about it? It looks pretty cool. And I said, yeah, you know, it's this great idea, blah, blah, blah. And he wrote a story about it. The next day. Uh, and then after that, we had a, a bunch of people fill out forms and then even some companies contact us. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if we would have done Poachable had he not done that story. Because I think after we got that initial push, uh, then we got another story in, uh, it was like Fast Company or something. And uh, it just started to snowball. It was, it was amazing
1: wow so that's that's a really fascinating point there about um whether you would have continued if you hadn't got that coverage and And I guess that um one maybe trap that maybe a, a lot of startups fall into when they're when they're in the early stages of launching that business and trying to find product market fit is. Oh we just need to get coverage on TechCrunch and everything will work out after that. <laughs> right? Yeah. And yeah. and I guess um you know we probably know that that isn't the case and in 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 most cases you're going to get probably a, uh you know a, an influx of new signups and maybe people who aren't even your target customers who want to just out of curiosity figure out what your product is about. Um but I guess this was a little bit different because it wasn't just signing up. I guess, how much information were you asking for when people
0: registered? We were, with you? Yeah. So we were asking for a lot of sensitive information like their current salary, the salary they would, uh, the minimum salary they would need to consider a move, the companies that they would want to work at, where they're working now. Um, you know, their LinkedIn profile, public profile, URL, uh, their job function, you know, the current location, a lot of stuff. And it was ironic because at Yabli, we could not get anyone to even ask a question for free, you know about a, <laughs> And here people were giving us all the stuff and we're like, whoa, that there goes, you know, there's an example of if you're solving a problem that people give a darn about, They will do things for you, even take a big chance, you know, with sensitive information. And I I, I agree with your point that the the companies that are like, oh man, if only TechCrunch would write about us, you know, we'd be a success. I I think that's a dangerous model uh, and a dangerous assumption because, you know, that that that's sort of like a. Uh, a, a hit of crack, you know like it might feel good right away, but it doesn't last and and then you you know you might even make a company that's dependent on that kind of coverage. Um, I think for us, what was unique was we launched the thing on July eighth and we were supposed to sell the company I think on july twenty first or something like that, so we didn't have a lot of time to get data to determine if this thing had legs or not. And, uh, and so the GeekWire article got us a lot of members very quickly, You know, literally on day two. And I'm, I, I, I'm sure we could have got people to sign up without that press coverage, because we do today. Um, but I don't know if we would have been able to get enough people to sign up before the middle of July to have the deci- decision about whether we should recapitalize a company or not. So, I think in the long run, yeah, you can't hang your hat on press coverage, but in this example, we needed some uh unnatural event to kick start things to give us data in a matter of days and then and not weeks.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I think it's also interesting that you guys Seems like you kept going, you know, one <clears throat> one idea after the other, trying to quickly validate, having a a much greater sense of urgency than maybe you had in the early days of Yably. Um, and uh, I guess if you'd got the GeekWire coverage and it had just been people signing up to give you an email address uh, to let them know when you launch would would not have been as powerful as People giving you all of this this personal information, um, so it it sounds like it it became pretty clear very quickly that you were onto something that people needed.
0: That's right. Yeah, I think if we had just done a squeeze page, which was like notify me when you launch, that all that would have proved was that we can collect emails. I think we purposely asked for very valuable information, and we were not afraid to have multiple fields on that form because we said we have to we have to avoid false positives. And um, so we said, let's have a high bar. Let's ask them how much they're making. Let's ask them how much it would take. Let's ask them where they're working, all this stuff. And because they were willing to fill all of that out, it gave us a lot more confidence that, oh, this, this is something. They might have hit something here. Um so that's that's kind of how we thought about it and and I think one of the lessons learned there is you know you have to be willing to ask for the business like a lot of people don't ask for the business because they're afraid that the person will say no uh even with with Poachable in the early days like we had this you know kind of unusual pricing model and I think Deep down inside, it was priced really low because we were afraid if we priced it higher, people would say no. And you have to resist that because you're not trying to just get traction for its own sake. You need to demonstrate real, sustainable, valuable traction. And you'd rather have you know a 1,000 customers paying you real money than 10,000 emails that are worthless.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to just kind of recap on, on what we've talked about here. And and earlier we had, had this conversation about, you know, the pendulum sort of swings in two directions. One is, um, telling startups that they need to pivot quickly and, and figure out what that next idea is. And on the other end, you've got people giving advice like, if you never give up, you can't fail. And the question becomes, well, how long do I keep going before, uh, I have to give up or I have to pivot? So, um, for someone listening who maybe is in that position right now, is there any advice that you would give them to on what they could start thinking about or, or start doing to, to help figure out how, when is the right time to, to make that pivot?
0: Yes, it's a it's a really kind of a, com- a conversation I'm very passionate about because I I kind of did it the wrong way for a long time. And I think a lot of us are who go and are founders, um we want to show that we have grit and we want to show that we have tenacity, which is great. And I think you absolutely need both. To survive and thrive. However, I think sometimes we mistake that for um, kind of blind faith in whatever idea you have. And so, um, what happens is, you know, in the Yabli example, we were tenacious, but we just kept plugging away at, you know, consumer QA for product decisions. And we were not willing to challenge assumptions. Like we had, we basically had a sacred cow, and that was that the world needs Quora meets Consumer Reports. And we weren't willing to say, maybe the world doesn't. And I think the reason we weren't willing to do that was honestly because we would have had to admit that we weren't as smart as we thought we were, Mm -hmm. and then we'd have to admit that we were wrong. And secondly, I think we wanted to Avoid sounding like we were quote unquote giving up. I think I even remember, yeah. you know, someone saying to me, Oh, well, you're giving up, you know, like it's like this bad thing. And I think the, the, the better way to look at it is you have to be tenacious and you have to be persistent about building a business, a real meaningful business. But the actual product or service idea, like that doesn't need to be etched in stone. No one gets it right the first seconds usually even third time, like it takes a number of iterations. It takes a number of kind of revolutions of, of the cycle. And, uh, and so, yeah, like, yeah, you don't have to give up uh, on yourself or on your company, but it's okay. And it's required to give up on features or products or businesses or business models that aren't working. Because generally, if it is working and you do have fit, you'll know it.
1: So I think it's about getting as quickly as possible to your f- validation in, in terms of either, uh, first dollar, first paying customer, or somebody who's willing to give you some type of currency to show that your idea is solving a problem that's important enough, like you were doing with asking for all this, this personal information. And, and it reminded me of, uh, the guys at Optimizely and, and I had Pete Kuman, the co-founder of Optimizely here on the show um, back on episode 56. He explained that with uh, their first business, it took them about six months to get from idea to first dollar. Um, and that business didn't work out eventually. Then their second business, which also failed, took them about a month and a half to get from idea to first dollar. But the third time when they launched Optimizely, they they went from idea to revenue in one day
0: and <laughs> and
1: got people to, you know, got this validation that people were willing to pay for it before they even built anything.
0: Mm. And I
1: think that there's a really valuable lesson in doing that. And and I think you hit the nail on the head that sometimes it's just easier to build the product because we're afraid to ask in case they say no. And and then it just Destroys everything. It destroys this great hope and idea and dream Mm -hmm. that we have about building this this product and business.
0: Yeah, you. There's always oh, this next feature that's going to change everything. And you know, usually if you can't get some traction in the first few features, adding another twenty or thirty is not gonna not gonna move that needle. Uh, So I totally uh, can 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 relate to the optimizely kind of pattern where, you know, when you have something good, um, people gravitate to it very quickly. And, you know, even when you tell friends about your business, there's like a few different kinds of responses. One is like, oh yeah, hey, that sounds cool. And that generally means like they're not going to use it and they're just being nice, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then there's like, no way, like, what? wait, what is the, what is the URL? Like, I, how do I sign up? That's the reaction you want. And uh, if you have a great idea, even if it's poorly executed, it will get traction. The worst is people uh, like, like me in the early days where we were really good at executing bad ideas. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you, can, you can always get a little bit of traction. Someone said to me once, I've never seen a completely bad business. You know, like there's always some silver lining. Like you can always find some data or get some customer to send you some fan mail, like, oh, I love your product. But uh ultimately you gotta you gotta keep it real. And and the the graph you need to look at is uh, you know, week over week users or week over week ideally week over week revenue.
1: Yeah. All right, Tom, it's uh, now time for our lightning round. I'm going to ask you uh, a series of questions and I'd like you to answer them as quickly as you can. You ready? Uh, Let's do it. All right. Uh, What's the best piece of business advice that you ever received?
0: The best piece of business advice, uh, I heard an interview with someone else where they talked about your luck surface area. And the concept was like, you have to put yourself out there In order for you to catch lucky breaks. So as an example, I used to never go to like networking things because I just, I'm actually a little bit of an introvert, uh, in group situations. But if you don't go, you're not going to, you know, randomly run into the reporter or run into the investor or the potential customer. So your job is to give yourselves as many opportunities to catch that lucky break, uh, as you can.
1: What book would you recommend to our audience, and why?
0: Uh, I've been listening to the audio book for a company called um, Na- uh, for a book called "Nail It uh, and Then Scale It," and it's not sort of groundbreaking, but it's very comprehensive and kind of walks through uh, basically the whole kind of uh, process from finding market fit to scaling. And uh, it's by uh, Paul. Alstrom and uh, Nathan Furr. And so I, I enjoy that. Nail it, then scale it.
1: Uh, what's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful entrepreneur?
0: Um, I think a successful entrepreneur has to be honest with him, him or herself that you have to call BS on yourself. And when things aren't working, uh, we're generally pretty smart, creative people. We can always make excuses But you have to kind of keep it real and call a spade a spade. And if something's not working, you got to you got to take action and and be truthful to yourself, even when it's kind of hard to uh, to say the words.
1: What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit?
0: Uh, I'm a big fan of Mailbox, the uh, the email app. Um, I love how I can triage my inbox and snooze mails for various points in time. It's I've never gotten to zero inbox uh, prior to having Mailbox, so uh, it's fantastic. I I highly recommend it. And and those features have been cloned by by Google and and Microsoft uh, in their own mail mail apps. But I still I still think Mailbox does a really a wonderful job of making it very, um, pure and simple.
1: What's another business idea or or something crazy that you have in your head that you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time?
0: Oh man. Um, you know, I was just, I was just talking to my co-founder about our next startup, uh, which might not be for five or ten years but um, you know i i think the uh, i like what draftkings and some of these other guys are doing for fantasy football betting and i think it would be kind of fun to create uh, betting platforms that uh, apply to other types of of things uh, and i know there are companies i think in ireland that do that but um, generally, like, wouldn't it be great to make it very easy for a small group of people to have uh, a, a a micro version of a uh, of fantasy football, but for other types of activities and and uh, pastimes?
1: Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know?
0: Um, let's see. Uh they probably don't know that. Um, i'm a political junkie and that i probably consume 2 to 3 hours of political news a day and uh i've been watch i watch two or three sunday news shows every every sunday and uh i used to want to go into politics uh wow b- before i knew uh, before i i got smarter
1: <laughs> you better yeah
0: yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Cool. And finally, what is one of your most important passions outside of your work?
0: Uh, probably uh, raising my two sons with my wife. I have a, a seven-year-old and a five-year-old, and you know all the stuff that we're talking about for business is is super interesting and challenging and important. But um, you know, when your son looks up to you and, and he says, you know, you're my best friend, Daddy, uh, it awesome. just you know it blows everything else away. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
1: my kids told me you are putting on weight.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've heard that too. I've heard that too, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I would have never guessed that you were a bit of an introvert. Um, you know, I saw the uh the video that I mentioned earlier before we started recording about you on MSNBC and and going and doing the the pitch at the South by Southwest accelerator. Um and you know, you mingling in different places and I was like, you know, you you didn't come across as an
0: introvert. So, um very, oh, I remember you know, those scenes they were extremely painful for me. Inside, I was, <laughs> I was dying inside. <laughs> uh,
1: I, I hear you. I'm just like that too. It's just I, I kind of just cringe at those group situations. And, uh, um, but the funny thing is that once, once you get into those situations and you just sort of get over, you know, thinking about yourself and just try to just, just have conversations with people. I, I kind of fi- find myself, it's like, oh, actually, I'm having a bit of fun here now. But uh, it's actually getting there in the first place that I find uh, I'm more comfortable.
0: Yeah, you know, in fact, someone else told me another piece of advice about that that has been amazing. And he said, you know, if you tell yourself before you go to the event that everybody here is excited to meet me, everybody here wants to talk to me, uh, and you go in with that mindset, it makes it so much easier because I think in the past I would go to these things. I'll be like, Oh my God, nobody's going to want to talk to me. They're going to find me not that interesting. And, Oh, I don't fit in here. But when you kind of change your mindset, it changes your body language. You give off a different vibe and it makes those group events a lot easier. So I highly recommend that approach. It's a little bit of a, a, a mind game you play with yourself before you, before you walk into the, uh, into the ballroom.
1: <laughs> That's a great tip. All right. So if folks want to find out more about Anthology or, or they want to go and uh, register, uh, they can go to anthology.co. Uh, and if they want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that?
0: Yeah, they can follow me on Twitter at Tom L. Uh, they can also follow Anthology at, at Anthology. Um, and I'm also on LinkedIn Um, but yeah, Twitter is a good way. I generally respond to people who tweet at me. So if there's anything I can do to be helpful, uh, to the audience, just, uh, hit me up.
1: And, And you, you have a podcast as well. So if you want to give a shout out for that, and there may be people interested in listening to that too.
0: Oh, how nice of you. Yeah. So we, we just started a podcast, uh, a month ago. It's called, uh, Anthology Career Stories. We have about 10 episodes now, and they're these long form interviews Um, Similar to this show, but it's more focused on uh, people's career decisions. And we track people from uh, childhood all the way up to where they are now. And uh, so I just did an interview with someone who's like a VP of policy at the World Wildlife Foundation. And then I did another one of, uh, you know, a, a person who was a Yale law grad that then turned into a children's book author. And then I, I've interviewed a bunch of entrepreneurs and kind of walk through like their uh, career arc, if you will. Uh, and obviously it relates to what we do uh, at Anthology. So it's a nice tie in.
1: So I'll include a link to that in the show notes. So if people want to check that out, they can do that as well. Tom, it's been a pleasure. I, I really enjoyed this chat. Um, and I'm, I'm really glad that you guys were able to, to figure out, uh, the right business to, that was going to get you the traction that you guys needed. And I think it's a really inspirational story as well about not giving up and, and how, um, you know, persistence and, and some creativity and, and maybe just, uh, you know, a little a um,
0: little bit of luck, a <laughs> little bit of luck, you know,
1: all, all come together, and um, you know, and, and, and has, has resulted in in a, a successful outcome. So I wish you guys all the best, and um, you know, um, you know, hope to stay in touch.
0: Well, thanks for having me, Omer. It was a great conversation, and I look forward to uh, talking again in the future. Cool. Thanks again. Cheers. Take care.
1: All right. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Tom Leong of Anthology. You can get to the show notes by going to conversionaid.com slash 98, where you'll find all the links and resources that we discussed today. I think he has a great story. And I just love the way that those guys just pivoted uh, over and over again until they found a way to break through. Very inspirational story. Remember, if you haven't uh, entered the giveaway, head over to com slash giveaway. And if you want to in- increase your uh, chances of winning, then head over to conversionaid.com slash VIP first before you enter the giveaway. All right. That's enough for today. Thanks for listening. I will check you guys out later on episode 99. Thanks for listening to Conversion Aid,
0: the podcast that shows you how to take your business to the next level and create software that sells. But things don't have to end here. Head over to conversionaid.com slash VIP and get yourself on the free VIP list where we share special insider content and news about upcoming episodes. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next
1: time.